0: welcome my mum at the back. Hello mum. <clears throat> I was thinking of something earlier on in the meeting. Um, there was a guy at school and this fits in with the message, it's not just random tat. There was a guy at school who I used to sit next to and he was one of these guys who on the outside seemed really tough and he would threaten and he would Yeah, and I'm going to do this to you, and if you do that again, I'm going to... And really, it was just hot air, because when it came to the fight, he could do nothing. So we see that Jesus said lots of things in his ministry for three years. But when it came to the fight, the time we find out if Jesus is real is when he's in the middle of the battle. Now let's see if the words that come out of his mouth what he's been saying for the three years or will he pack up and run was it just talk so we're just going to have a look at the last few words of Jesus before he died on the cross and uh, if you've got a Bible we'll start in Psalm 22 I just want to read the whole of this Psalm it says this my God, my God Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? My God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. In the night season, and I am not silent. But you are holy, you that inhabit the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted you and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delights in him. But you are he that took me out of the womb, and you did make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. And then further down it says, Many bulls have come past me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaves to my jaws. You have brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and feet. I can tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots for my vesture. We'll stop there. David wrote through the inspiration of the Spirit about the cross so clearly in this psalm that when Jesus... Was crucified. He went back to the middle of this psalm to fulfill what was spoken about him here. So, just a bit of background last few days of Jesus' life. We were talking last night about the woman who came and poured out her fragrance on Jesus' feet. And we were talking that it was so close to the time of the Passover that the fragrance of Jesus was this smell that was coming from him as he carried the cross. Because it was only a few days earlier that she'd broken open the box and the smell had gone into the pores of his skin. And so as he walked along with the cross, the smell of this fragrance was everywhere he walked. And just before Jesus went to the cross, before he even got to the place, the Roman soldiers were given free reign with him. And I believe that the Roman soldiers were very offended by Jesus's. um, the reason why he was condemned was to be the king of the Jews. And the Romans had one king which was Caesar. So just to prove that Jesus wasn't the king in their eyes they really gave him the treatment of a complete tearing apart of his body. So they tore up his back off basically with the Roman scourge. It wasn't meant just for punishment. It didn't matter if they killed him. Because he'd been condemned by Pontius Pilate. They wouldn't have been in trouble if they'd killed him. He was meant for death. The death sentence was over him. One of them sat in the corner and found some sharp thorns and began to make a crown of thorns and placed it on Jesus' head and then began to they began to come one by one and hit him on the head with a rod or it says with a, with a um, reed. Well if you've, you've seen those kendu reeds that kendu sticks people fight with I believe it was one of those that actually pushed the thorns into Jesus' scalp. Maybe the thorns were actually touching into his skull. And so blood was flowing down his face and there was literally no skin left on his back. And he's not even got to the place of the cross yet. Now, in that situation, and the fact that he'd been arrested all night, I don't believe he would have drank anything or eaten anything. His body would have been weakened through no sleep. And now he's carrying the cross to the place of execution. Now we'll find out if what he really said is true. True. Because it's easy to say, I forgive people, but when we're squeezed, what really happens? You know, when someone treads on your foot and you thought you'd say, bless you, and something else came out of our mouths. And this happens on a daily basis. And Jesus wants us to line up with what we say we are and who we are. And so let's see if Jesus could meet the mark and keep the pattern. The first word that Jesus said from the cross was linked to this scripture we just read. The soldiers were gambling for his top. It was split into three parts, but I believe there were four soldiers. And so that they weren't left out. They threw dice or gambled with lots for his robe or his vesture, which was one piece woven throughout. And so Jesus has been nailed to the cross and his arms are outstretched and the nails are through his wrists. And in that, if you put yourself in that position, just imagine it for a second, speaking is going to be very difficult because your diaphragm is being closed. So you can't grab the air to say the words because you're being hung up by your arms. So the words that you say, well, you want to keep them to a minimum. They'll be very few. And what's more, with the crucifixion, the whole point of the death of crucifixion was because built into our bodies and our mentality is a desire to live, the cross was a torture that worked with that desire to live. So the more you wanted to live, the more pain it was going to cost you. You were going to die in the end, but your body and your mind didn't think about that. It just just thought about the will to live and so to live and to breathe to keep your body organs working and the blood flowing around your body you've got to pull against the nails for every breath that you take whether it's the nails in your feet or in your arms and maybe you start off with strong legs but i believe their feet their legs were slightly bent and then um once the arms were weakened the strength would go into the legs and they were slightly bent but Jesus on the cross would have to push his legs up in order to breathe. And once his legs were completely weary, the strength then went into his arms and he had to pull against the nails with his own wrists to gain breath. And this torture went on for six hours. And every word that he spoke cost him something because that was breath that he needed for his body to stay alive and he pulled against the nails and spoke and the first word he said was he was watching the soldiers right in front of him gambling for his own clothes now you and I in that situation we would be longing for some kind of comfort from someone a best friend a family member wouldn't even the soldiers have compassion upon him? Surely they've done enough to him that they even want to gamble for his clothes in front of him, having done nothing wrong. And Jesus pulls against the nails and speaks these words, Father, forgive them. He's speaking, Father, forgive these ones here. He's not talking about everyone around. He's specifically saying, Father, forgive these people who are gambling with my own clothes. And when we think that Jesus at any time could have called the show off, could have called on 12 legions of angels to finish it, it was his will that was hanging him to the cross. When all around. <laughs> See, if that was me on the cross... We wouldn't be here. If I was God and that was me on the cross, no one would be here. Because as soon as someone shook their finger in my face and said, if you're the son of God, come down, I'll come down and beat them all up. Wipe out the whole earth and start again. Who cares? I'm God. I can do what I want. It's true. But Jesus, his will was keeping him there. He could have at any time said, Father, that's enough. I can't do it. And mankind would have been doomed. And Jesus would have gone back to his Father in heaven. But then how could the Scripture be fulfilled? That's the key to it all. Because he's the Word of God, he has to fulfill Scripture. Because he is the Word. He cannot fail in his mission. Because he is the Word of God. And every word that's spoken about him must be fulfilled, including this word of them gambling with his clothes in front of him written in psalm 22 and jesus is standing there with the offense in front of him and says father forgive them for they know not what they do you might read that and think well they do know what they do and sometimes things happen to us that there shouldn't be an excuse for But what Jesus is doing is fulfilling another scripture in Isaiah 53 that says he made intercession for the sinners. So he's interceding. Father, forgive them. And and I'll try and add weight to it because I want you to forgive them, Lord. And he's interceding for the ones who've just nailed him to a cross, whipped his back off. And he's interceding for them from the cross. He's not... Getting his Bible out and preaching scriptures, he's preaching from his life from the cross. Jesus hardly spoke a word, if any, about grace, yet his whole life was full of grace, full of grace. They parted my raiment and cast lots for my vesture, and Jesus is making intercession for the very ones that have done that to him. We we know that Jesus was on the cross for six hours, and this is the beginning of his suffering. The next words he says is he looks down and he sees his mother and the disciple whom he loved, or John, next to her. There's no social security. There's no payments for someone who's destitute. There's no help for widows in Israel. There's no charity fund to turn to. And Jesus, as the eldest son, is now looking at his mother and seeing the responsibility towards her and says to John, Behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Surely, Jesus, you want to be thinking about the pain you're going through. It's just cost you to pull on those nails to say those words. And yet all you're bothered about is others. And as he's pulling against the nails to speak these words, he's bringing the responsibility for his mother to be with his disciple John. And it says John took her into his house from that very same hour. And the the bond of a mother and son... Was taken into this relationship of Mary and John as her soul is being pierced with a sword. When Jesus was born, they prophesied, A sword will pierce through your own soul. And this was the time that the sword was piercing through her soul, and she's in such agony in her pain and sorrow that Jesus helps her in comforting her in that by saying, This is now your son. Look after him. The motherly pangs that you have for me, give to him. And John, this is your mother. Look after her and bless her. Take, Be responsible for her. Still not a thought about his own life. The third thing that happens, I believe it's in this order. You can check with the scripture. It says that at the sixth hour this thing happened. So he's He was crucified at the third hour. Three hours have gone. He's halfway through his crucifixion. And this kicks off. There's two guys crucified either side. And it, it says that he was numbered with the transgressor, with the transgressors within the Psalms. And so to fulfill the scripture, he wasn't crucified alone. He was numbered with us, the transgressors. He's our high priest. He has to... and enter into everything that we enter into yet without sin and even in his death he is there with the transgressors identifying himself with mankind and so he's got one guy this side and one guy that side and the first one turns to him and says looks at the sign above his head and it's written in three or four languages this is the king of the jews that's the reason we're crucifying him and maybe this one's got thief this one's got car thief or something above his head whatever it was I know there was no cars but whatever it was it was written above his head what he'd done but (laughs) chariots yeah chariot thief good on you Sean so the first one turns to Jesus and says if you're the son of God it's written above you if you're really that get down from that cross and save yourself and save us too and he began to rail upon him. What Jesus was doing was soaking up the curses. He was taking the curse of mankind, even in his death, the curse was coming upon him. He could have said, if I jumped down from this cross mate, you wouldn't wanna see what's gonna happen. But this one looks and rebukes, probably someone that he knew the other side of Jesus and said we deserve to be here that means he must have known what that guy's done because he knows he deserves to be there but the one in the middle he's done nothing wrong he's meeting two criteria he's repenting of his sin because he said I deserve this punishment because of what I've done I am getting my just deserts for my sin but this man next to me has done nothing wrong And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In those few breaths that's cost him a lot to pull against the nails in order to fill his lungs, to speak the words after three hours of hanging there by a couple of nails in his arms and maybe one or two through his legs. But in those few sentences, he meets the criteria for eternal life. A lifetime in sin is wiped away in 10 seconds because he repented, he recognized he was a sinner. He said, I deserve the punishment of God. Remember me when you come in your kingdom, Lord. So he says, you are are my Lord. You are the king and I am the sinner and I know you have a kingdom and let me receive salvation from you this day, and the whole world was blind to what was going on, and yet this man had his eyes open in the spirit realm to see that this is the king of the Jews, and he's dying, and I have an opportunity to enter into his kingdom, if he would only accept me and take me now, at the last breath of my life, and Jesus turns and says, see at the beginning it says they were both mocking him, Jesus could have turned and said, you must be joking, mate. You spend a lifetime in sin, and now you think I'm going to forgive you? You've got in You've got a skin of your teeth. You want to try and get into heaven now? No way. But Jesus turns, and his heart, real heart comes out, and he says, today you shall be with me in paradise people have tried to describe where that word paradise comes from I don't really care if that was me if I put myself in this man's position all I need from Jesus is for him to say today you'll be with me I don't care where it's gonna be as long as I'm with Jesus because I know that he's got eternal life and wherever he goes if I'm there I have eternal life wherever you go Jesus Ruth said to her mother-in-law wherever you go I'll be So the man, it doesn't really matter where paradise was, just be with Jesus today. And so he received his salvation. Can you remember the day you received your salvation and the burden of your sin was rolled away and the peace of God came and the Holy Ghost came and cleansed and witnessed inside to say you're forgiven. Imagine the joy of this man on the cross who's just received salvation even on the cross, dying with a smile on his face, with the peace of God beaming out of him. And this man, angry and mad because his sins are still there and still blaming Jesus. And yet what peace around that cross to the man who's just received the salvation of his soul. Whole lifetime of sin wiped away in a second. What cost was it? Repent and believe. It will never change. We can't get there by repentance alone. We can't get there by faith alone. It has to be repentance and faith. And there he comes straight into the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that this was the sixth hour. So it's just hit midday. Now, at midday, darkness came over the whole earth. I don't believe, the scriptures don't tell us, but I don't believe this was just Israel. I believe that the whole earth was covered in darkness for three hours because of the sin, yours, mine, everyone, being poured upon Jesus 2,000 and whatever years ago, darkened the skies. The spirits of darkness came to look down and as their dark shadows filled the place, the sun could not shine any longer. For three hours, complete darkness. Jesus says, in this dark place, feeling the weight of the sin of the earth, the sin of the whole world, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We read Psalm 22. It's the first word that's written in that psalm. Jesus is fulfilling his own scripture. He wasn't speaking out of, um, I know you've forsaken me, Lord, and you've gone away, and, and I don't, there's no way back. He wasn't speaking out of that because he knew. But he's fulfilling prophecy. And there may come time, and there may have already been a time in our lives where we came to a a season in our life and we said, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you allowed this to happen when everyone else is smiling and partying in church and I've got this in my life? Why am I left out of the loop? Why have you forsaken me? Everyone else is speaking in tongues, but I'm the one who doesn't get it. Why have you forsaken me? He hasn't. He's promised I'll never leave you or forsake you. How can He forsake us? Jesus was just fulfilling the scripture. So the darkness had come now. Now Jesus has turned a corner now. During the three hours of light, He's giving out to others. He's restoring the relationship between His mother and His a disciple whom He loved. He's reaching out salvation to the man on the cross. He's even forgiving the people that are gambling with his clothes. But now, the man's side of Jesus is starting to stir. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's just fulfilling the scripture. It's still a secret to the spiritual realm of what Jesus is actually accomplishing this day. Then he says... I thirst. It's a strange thing to put there in the middle of these words that Jesus is talking about from the cross, knowing that the pain it's cost him to speak them, that he's got to pull against the nails and suddenly cry out, I thirst. But remember, Psalm 22 says his tongue was stuck to the jaws of his mouth. He's had nothing to drink. He's, apart from an offer of vinegar, oh, it's a nice drink, isn't it, when you're really thirsty. And He's lost so much blood that he's dehydrated and people that get into this state quite often go delirious. That's not going to happen to Jesus. But he's bordering with losing his life over the thirst, let alone everything that's going on in his internal organs through this suffering on the cross. But why would he say, I thirst? Because he wants us to carry our cross that we will speak the same word. He wants the people of God to be thirsty. And if we're thirsty, we're going to go looking for the water somewhere. And the thirst that he's looking for is our thirst for the word of God. And he wants us to search until our thirst is quenched. Ho, he who is thirsty, come to the waters and drink freely. The Holy Spirit has been poured out to quench our thirst. When he's come into our life, we are no longer searching for the answer. We have the answer. The thirst has finished. I thought the next two words were mixed round the wrong way. But that was my own thoughts because... I thought the last word that Jesus shouted out from the cross was, it is finished. But that's not true. Because the Bible clearly states, the last breath that came out of his mouth as he filled his lungs was into your hands. I commend my spirit. So let's take it to the next word. It pulls against the nails. This, this, I believe that these last three words of Jesus, I thirst... It is finished. Into your hands I commend my spirit. They all happen within the ninth hour or the last few minutes of Jesus' life on on the cross. And so as he's pulling against the nails and it says at the last word where he says I thirst, Jesus knowing that all had been fulfilled and to fulfill the scripture says I thirst. See Jesus only once thought about his own thirst until all the scriptures about him had been fulfilled and once they've all been fulfilled he's like all right now I can have a drink I've finished my work now now I can have a drink I thirst and then we see him crawl out as he pulls against the nails it's finished he's not died yet he's still got one word to go so why is it finished now Every prophecy that was written about Jesus is now being fulfilled. And once he's fulfilled all the scripture, then it's finished. He can't finish until every I has been dotted, every T has been crossed, everything that the Old Testament says is going to happen at the cross has to happen. But once it's complete, Jesus says it's finished now. He has fulfilled the book. He has fulfilled the scriptures written about him. He has accomplished. And the Father is pleased. The sacrifices for sin no longer have to take place. We were looking at, me and my wife were looking at this scripture before we came. That it says the curtain was torn in two before he died. He was still hanging there when the when the invisible hand turned up into the temple and cut the curtain from the top to bottom. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there was a curtain that no one was allowed to pass through because of the glory that was behind it. But the high priest could come once a year if he went through the right order. And then he was allowed in to sanctify the people once a year on the Day of Atonement. But beyond that, no one was to go behind this curtain ever, lest they would die. And now some visible knife turns up at the top of the curtain and cuts the curtain, which some people, I think they say six or nine inches wide, and comes and cuts the curtain from top to bottom. And can you imagine the priest who's in the holy pot looking at this curtain that's just been cut in two from top to bottom? Because Jesus has fulfilled the law. When he said it is finished, he has fulfilled the demands of the law. The punishment of sin is death. Death has been paid. He paid it for me. He paid it for you. That was the price to be paid. And Jesus says, it's finished. I've paid for you, my loved ones, in full. The punishment for sin was complete. The blood that was required for the forgiveness of mankind had been drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And God the Father was pleased to receive the travail of his soul. The work of salvation and the plan to save yours and my life for eternity was now complete. And this is before we talk about things like it is finished so we receive things like healing and people can be raised from the dead and demons can be cast out. They're just temporal things. The eternal things took place when he said it is finished. The scripture fulfilled. The price paid for our lives has been paid in full. And then Jesus with his last dying breath catches up with a scripture in the Psalms as he pulls against the nails and says, now I choose when I die. You're not choosing when I die. I choose to die now. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And Jesus gives, his, gives up the ghost. He decides, he's calling the shots. When he decides to die, when it's all been fulfilled, then he can say, Father, I commend my spirit to you. If we were to die today, who would we commend our spirit to? Would it be to the Father? Or do we have a relationship with Him? Because if we don't, we can't say those words. But today, just as the man at the side of Jesus fulfilled the requirement to repent and to believe, he received eternal life today, we have the same offer. Everyone is receiving the same offer from Jesus. Eternal life, because the price has been paid forever. Jesus Christ is the one. We pray just for one minute. Father, I thank you that Jesus did it all Lord he paid the price he overcame he bought our salvation and anyone who is willing to turn today he has paid the price for if you would like to receive your eternal life that's been paid for in full and you've never asked this before Just put your hand up to Jesus and say, Lord, I want mine too. Would you not want something that someone else has paid for in full that is the most precious thing you could ever own? Would you not want it if it was paid for and it belonged to you? If you had £10,000 in the bank that someone had left there and it belonged to you, wouldn't you want to go down there with your card and draw it out because it was yours? Jesus has paid for our salvation today. Anyone, there's no excuses. Anyone who is willing to say, Lord, remember me. He's willing to remember today. If you feel you can't make that decision today, no problem. The Holy Ghost won't give up on you. He chased me down for two years. Thank God he never gave up, even in the midst of all the mocking. He he hunts our soul down because he loves us so much. He keeps going after us, even when we try to run from him. Do you know some of the strongest Christians are the ones who try to run from God and end up running right into him? I don't know if you've heard the story of Mike Wonky who joined the Navy because he thought it was the only place there would be no Christians because Navy was for tough people, Hey, Joe? And he didn't think there would be any Christians in the Navy there. And God put him in a room with two Christians. And after breaking one of their noses, he said, I'll cut you open like a Christmas chicken. You mentioned Jesus to me one more time. And the guy turned and said, I've got to speak to you about Jesus because Jesus died for me and if he's good enough for me, he's good enough for you too. And Mike broke down and gave his life to the Lord. So the the man that I went to school with, his words didn't back up with what he was saying. And many times, we were talking about Peter last night. He said, Lord, I'll follow you unto death and to prison. And the very same night, he's denied him three times. We don't even know our own hearts. But what Jesus said he was going to do, he did it. And what he says he has done, he has done. And what he says he is going to do, he is going to do. And he is coming back. And he is going to reign. And every knee is going to bow to him. And every tongue is going to confess him as Lord. Because not one word that he has spoken has ever failed. Is all been fulfilled. And it's scary when you read what has been fulfilled from the Bible already and what's left to be done. The time is short. So Jesus conquered the grave. He has paid for our salvation. And all that is left for us to do is praise him for the cost. Amen.